Hey, I'm excited. We're going to jump into a series called The Wedding. And it's going to be three weeks. Uh, We're going to be in this series for three weeks. I'm going to start today. Uh, It'll take us right into Easter. Uh, Remember, Easter is the 27th of March this year, kind of early. Palm Sunday is the 20th. That is our scheduled Lord's Supper or communion will be on Palm Sunday. I love doing the Lord's Supper on Palm Sunday preceding the week of Easter. So you don't want to miss that. And right after the service, don't forget, we've got lots of baptisms today. Uh, and so don't miss that over in the old worship center. We'll be over there uh, for baptism. So you don't want to miss that. So the wedding, the wedding, what we're going to do in the series of the wedding is we're going to look at the Jewish wedding. I don't know if you've ever looked at it. Oh my goodness, you should. Okay. Cause it is rich. I want you to know something today, that when you see the Jewish wedding, and when we walk through the Jewish wedding, and, and, and you're going to see it in light of what I would say the American wedding, we've got some similarities, we've got some things we could probably ramp up a little bit, but I want to walk you through the Jewish wedding, because what the Jewish wedding is, is an absolutely beautiful picture of our marriage to Christ. It is a gorgeous picture of that. And we're going to unpack that today. It comes in three phases. Uh, First phase, the betrothal phase. We're going to look at that today. We're going to kind of camp there, but that's the first phase we're going to look at. Second phase is the wedding stage. That'll be next week. And then on the 13th, we'll look at the celebration phase. You do not want to miss that. I know that that Sunday precedes or begins spring break, but I'm telling you, You do not want to miss the 13th. We're going to jump into uh, Matthew 25 pretty hard there, and uh, you don't want to miss that as we put a big bowl on the uh, wedding series. Now, if you're like me, I don't think there's anybody in the room that doesn't like a wedding. Amen? Y'all like weddings? I love going to weddings. It is said that the only person that really doesn't enjoy the wedding is the bride's dad. And there's a reason for that. Because all he can think about is the visa bill. I mean, he really wants to think about his daughter and how gorgeous everything is and all the candles and the little kids walking down dropping rose petals. Man, he wants to think of that, but all he can think about is his Southwest visa card. Now, he's excited because he got a lot of points there for some vacations, but he's got to get that thing paid first. And so he's thinking about all that because if you think about it, When you go to the reception after the wedding as the bride's dad, you're looking at that cake. And you're like, you need to get your tail up and go eat some cake. Have you had some cake? You need to go get some cake. Because I paid 600 bucks for that cake, and there's about two-thirds of that thing sitting there. We're going to have to eat some cake, amen. So y'all got to get up and eat some cake. I mean, he's thinking about everything. He's looking at it. He's looking at the dress. He doesn't want to know that he paid Two, three, four, five, ten thousand dollars for a dress going to be on for about two hours. Okay, then it's going to be zipped up in this gorgeous bag, stuck in a closet the rest of the time. All right, he don't want to know that. Most dads take the take the take the uh, the wedding like this. Just you, sweetheart, and mom go do it, and don't tell me nothing. Don't tell me no prices for that $75 bowl that that little girl's wearing in her hair. I don't want to know all that. Honey, just do it, and then after the fact, let mom tell me the day after, and then I'll cry and get all that out of my system, but I want to enjoy the wedding. Weddings are beautiful, beautiful, and I want to walk you through an absolutely gorgeous wedding 
called the Jewish wedding. It begins with the betrothal phase. Basically, what this is, is this phase of the wedding is where the groom is absolutely locked in like a laser on the bride. Now, what the groom does in this phase is he draws up a contract. That would be a sweet deal today. Amen. He draws up a contract for his bride. Okay. He draws up a contract that's going to be given to the bride's dad. Okay. Of what he's going to be and what he's going to do and how he's going to represent. He also... Uh, in this phase is when he draws this contract up, his dad has to sign off on it. The father has to sign off on it. He doesn't even get to go even present it to the, the bride's dad until his dad signs off on it. I want to turn to a passage of Scripture because I want you to see this as it relates to us. I want you to go to John's Gospel. John chapter 6. We saw some of this last weekend in our middle school disciple now weekend. We see it real regularly here at the church, but I want you to see this in scripture uh, in this betrothal stage, in this betrothal phrase. Look at uh, John chapter 6. John chapter 6. I want you to go to verse 44. John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last days. No one comes to the Father unless what? I draw him. Revelation 3, 20 says, I stand at the door and I knock. Anyone who opens the door... I come in, and I sup with them, and them with me. Listen to me. Understand something. You are pursued by the Father. You are absolutely chased by the Father. You are absolutely chased down by the Father. I, I, I talk to parents all the time, and they're worried about their kids and when they're going to come to Christ And sometimes, my friends, we have a tendency as moms and dads, we want to drag our kids to Jesus. You don't have to drag your kid to Jesus because Jesus will drag your child to them. I mean, Jesus is more in love with your children than you are. He sent his son to die for them. He's chasing your children. He's chasing you today. You may be sitting here in the audience today and you say, man, God isn't chasing me. You ought to know all the things I've done in my life. He doesn't he want to have anything to do with me. Let me say something to you. That cross is big enough for anything you ever did in your past. Much bigger than you could ever imagine. God does not care about who you are in the past. He cares about who you are today and what you have ahead of you. And I'm going to tell you something. When you meet Jesus, when he draws you to himself, when you know it's him, absolutely, when you know that, your heart's pounding, you know God's speaking to you, you've got to say yes to God. Don't let anything, anything or anybody keep you from coming to Jesus because he's worth it, my friend. He will absolutely change your life incredibly. So you got this phase that goes on, and, and this contract is made, and Jesus said, the Father made a contract with Jesus for us, 
He said, I'm going to give my only begotten son that whosoever, whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And my God is not a promise breaker, and he won't start with you breaking it. He will not. Second phase or second part of this is I want you to see the bride price. It's about to get gooder, and that's a good word, so say gooder with me. Gooder? I like that word. All right? The bride price. Here's the bride price. What the young man will pay for the bride. Some of you dads are like, whoo I got three girls. This could be sweet. We ought to enact this, okay? Seriously, that's what happens. Now, I, I want you to hear my heart on this when I'm trying to explain this to you. Back in the days... If you had sons, they were great because they could help you work. They could help work. They could help do things. They could help make money for the family. They could help bring in crops. They could help plant crops. They could help build things. If you, were, if you had a girl in your life, if you were blessed with a young lady as a child, they, they, they were not seen as people that could work. They could be, the family couldn't benefit for them. So what would happen is, that if there was a bride price that was paid. So if you wanted to marry that man's daughter, then you had to pay a price to get her hand. Because it was absolutely just like a token to say, thank you for raising this incredible lady. I know that it cost a lot, <laughs> amen, to raise a daughter, amen. I'm, not, I'm just saying, okay. It cost a lot to raise a daughter, okay? And so because of that great price that you spent raising that daughter that I'm about to take her hand in marriage, this is my contract. My father signed it, and this is the price that I'm willing to pay. I'm going to tell you something. You get a kid that walks into your house to ask your daughter for a hand in marriage and sees your daughter in that light, that changes everything. Because most walk in thinking, <laughs> i do you a favor. I'll marry your daughter because I'm the best thing since sliced bread. No, you can eat humbled is what you need, brother. All right? I mean, that's how we come sometimes. But we don't come like that. I want you to go to a passage of Scripture, go to Romans. I want you to see this played out for you and me. Go to Romans chapter 5. I want you to look, uh, let's, start in verse, uh, let's start in verse 6. Romans 5, 6. I want you to see the bride price here. You see, at just the right time, when you were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though a good man, or an unrighteous man, though a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But verse 8, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How about that bride price for you and me? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let that sink in just a little bit. Some of you say, well, I, I got saved when I was seven. I couldn't have been possibly be that bad, okay? The bottom line is, at 27, you might have had more sin, but you were just as dirty in his eyes at 7 as you were at 27. Amen. But he loved you enough, and he sent his son as the bride price to die in your place. Listen to me. He died where you couldn't die. 
He paid a price that you could not pay. There's no way. He did what he didn't have to do, but he laid his life down because he loved you so much. What an incredible bride price that was paid for you and me so we could be the bride of Christ. I want you to see three. The cup of acceptance. This is beautiful right here. The cup of acceptance. Uh, We kind of see it as popping the question, okay? It's a little more than that, okay? So the bride price is paid. The contract's drawn up, okay? It's signed off by the father. The price is agreed upon, okay? The father, the, 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 the bride's father agrees to the price that you're willing to pay, okay? And so now becomes that moment where she has to accept. So he pours a glass of wine and he sits it on a table. If she drinks, she accepts. If she doesn't drink, doesn't accept. So the wine is poured, which means she accepts. I want you to see this in Scripture. Go to uh, 1 Corinthians. Go to 1 Corinthians. I want to walk you through this all the way because everything that we're going to look at is going to have a Scripture reference to everything that we talk about. Okay? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I want you to see us when we do this as well. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 11, chapter, I mean, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Listen to me. When we take that cup, we take that juice at the Lord's Supper. You hear people say all the time, don't take this in vain. Don't take the Lord's Lord's Supper in vain. Listen, when we take that cup that represents the blood that Christ bore on a cross for us, the forgiveness of sins. When we take that cup, we drink that cup, we say we accept, we accept the offer. We accept the bride price. We have accepted the fact that Jesus Christ bore our sins on a cross. We accept what he did on Calvary. We are his. We are his. We say with that that we accept it. You don't want to take the Lord's Supper in vain. You don't want to take the Lord's Supper if you're not saved. How can you take the Lord's Supper, the bread that represents his body and the cup that represents the blood that he bore on your, for your sins, if you've never accepted him as your Savior? You have nothing in common with that. Nothing. It's foreign to you. But dude, when you get saved, the Lord's Supper, the next time after you get saved, the first time you get to take that, that's the most special thing in the whole wide world. You take it in a way like you've never seen it before. The glass of wine is the acceptance. Then the groom does this. If she drinks the wine of acceptance, then he will present her with gifts. That's a beautiful thing, okay? If she accepts. Now, we see that as the wedding ring, 
okay, that we put on the, the engagement ring that we put on her finger. But, but it's more than that because the, the, the groom comes and, and, and lavishes gifts on her. Some of the gifts are oil and a perfume and all these other beautiful things that she, he lavishes on her. Because of his token of love for her, his desire for him, he just gives her incredible gifts. We, are, we, we receive an incredible gift from the groom as well. And if we didn't do anything to earn it, my friends, we got an incredible gift from the groom. And we did nothing to earn it. I want you to go to Ephesians. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, look at this gift. Ephesians 2, verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one, no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It is a free gift from God. Salvation is a free gift from God. We didn't do anything to earn our salvation. You can do nothing to earn your salvation. If you could work for it, if you could earn it, what in the world did he have to die for? If we as men could do anything in our strength to earn heaven, if we could do anything with our strength and our behavior, if my good stack outweighs my bad stack, Oh, glory to God, I'll go to heaven. That is bull. There's no way you could do that. God said there's no one righteous, not even one. And the only thing that makes us righteous is Jesus. That's the only thing. And don't ever think that you could work your way to heaven. Don't ever think you could work your way to salvation. Don't ever think you could work your way to the cross. There's nothing you can do. You are drawn to the cross by Jesus. You're drawn by him. And he offers you the free, free gift of salvation. And all you have to do is take it. That's it, man. You don't do anything else. You say, well, wait, preacher, I'm a mess. I got to clean myself up. I can't come to Jesus like this. Listen to me. You come to Jesus in the biggest wreck you are, and he'll, he'll clean you up, man. He'll put a tux on you. Don't try to clean yourself up. Don't. You come to Jesus just like you are just like you are. It's a free gift that he gives you. Now see what happens after this. She accepts the contract. She accepts the offer. The gifts are given. And after that, she takes that. And, and, and part of that gift is perfume and, 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 and oils. And what she does, here's the beautiful picture of this. What she does with this is immediately after the gifts are exchanged, immediately after she's given the gifts by the groom, the groom leaves. He leaves. Listen to me. And listen, they don't see each other again until the wedding day. She, she don't, I, I know that's different. I know that's different. That's totally different than what we do here. But we'll get to that. He leaves. And immediately after the groom leaves, here's what she does. She draws a bath, warm bath, and she takes the gift of the oil that she was given from him, and she puts the oil in there, and she gets into the bathtub, 
She takes a bath. When she comes out, she puts the perfume on. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, that's pretty sweet. I know what that represents. Mm-hmm. We're about to do it. It's called baptism. See, salvation comes to us. It's a free gift of God. We get saved. Baptism doesn't save you. does not. The prayer you pray saves you. You pray and receive Christ as your Savior. You follow the Lord in what we call believer's baptism, okay? If, if you're not going to, she will never get the gifts and take the bath if she's not going to accept the offer of salvation and get married, right? That's why it comes after the fact. That's why sometimes you, you, you get saved and you're, sure, you're kind of not sure what you did. And then later in life, you may realize what you did and you feel God drawing you. And, and you, you say, God, I, I, I don't know what I did as, as a child. I'm not 100% sure. But I know tonight, I know for sure tonight that the Holy Spirit of God is drawing me to you for salvation. And I surrender. I give my life to you. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to come in and save me and make me new. I'm born again tonight. I'm a new creation. The old is gone and new has come. Then you need to get not re-baptized, amen, not re-baptized. First time you didn't get baptized, if you didn't get saved, you just got wet. You need to get baptized for the very first time because you're saved now. You save. You got to get your baptism on the right side of salvation for you to ever have the power to live the life God wants you to live. That's what happens. She, she takes the bath in the oil, comes out, puts the perfume on. Basically, what she is saying is, I'm his. That's what she's saying. And every time from that day forward that she walks out in the public, she wears a veil over her face. And here's what she's saying with that. I'm taken. I'm taken. Boys, I know I look good. Mm -hmm. I do. But I'm taken. See, you walk out in this world in it and not of it. <laughs> you walk out in this world in it, not of it. Amen. You walk out in this world and you say, oh, yeah, I'm taken. I belong to the king. I'm a king's kid. I'm a new creation. I'm born again. I'm not of this world, but I live in this world. And while I live in this world, I make much of Jesus. I want to have the aroma of Christ, the perfume that she put on. I've been saved. I've been baptized. Baptism is simply the, the symbolism of in the water. You ever told your kid to go take a bath? They come out of the bath and you go, I smell a poodle. We got a poodle in the house? I smell a wet dog. Boy, did you use soap? No, you just laid in there and play with toys. Now, once you get back in there, and I need you to use some soap because I need you to wash that junk off and get that poodle off of you because you stink. You stink. I'm just telling you. I love you. I really do. I'm your mama, and I love you. I'd do anything for you, but you stink. You smell like a wet dog, all right? Get back in there and use soap because soap in the, in the bath cleanses the dirt off of you. It makes you clean, amen? And unlike the physical bath, we got to get in it all the time. But my friend, when you get baptized, Jesus says you go in that water dirty, and it's a symbolism of buried in Christ, risen to walk a new life. Now understand that the crimson blood of Jesus isn't dry on Calvary. It still drips today, my friend. And so when we get out of God's will and we, we sin and we get out of fellowship with God, we can say, God, I'm sorry, man. I was a jerk to my wife, and I want you to forgive me. I know I'm a born-again child of the king, and that must not please you. It didn't please me, so I know it didn't please you. And I'm not that man, and I'm sorry. I said those words to Herb because my life is out of balance.
because I'm chasing my tail at work trying to be everything to everybody and I'm not being to her what she wants me to be. And when I sit with you, then you become, then I get full of you. And when I speak, it's like you talking. I, I need to sit with you. And I'm sorry for that. I hurt her. And I want to apologize to her. He cleanses you and forgives you just like you just took a bath and used good soap. And you're white again. My friend, this is a beautiful picture right here of who we are in Christ. Man, when we walk out in that world, let me tell you something. That year or so, whatever it takes for him to be gone, that he's gone, they don't see each other again. You say, well, how in the world can they be engaged and get married and never see each other till the wedding day? That's a Jewish custom, and I'll show you a little bit in a minute why. All right? She is taken no matter if he's there or not. I am taken whether I'm standing in the worship center or sitting at a restaurant. I'm taken. See, listen to me. Circumstances and situations and areas that life finds you should not dictate your conduct, character, or behavior, my friend. Because outside the worship center, you're still a child of the king. And you're still taken. If you're looking for a location to dictate behavior, maybe the problem starts that the behavior never was changed inwardly to produce the outcome outwardly. Quit trying to be what you think a Christian looks like and die to yourself and be risen and given the power to live the life that God called you to live. Because you are not able to do it in your own strength, my friend. You're not able to do it. And I know many people say, well, I'm, I'm trying to be a Christian man. You're going to wear yourself out, dude. It's not about trying. It's about dying. And when you die and when you surrender, then he takes over, and Jesus has never had a problem living a Christian life. Never. But let me tell you something. If we're in the way, he can't live through us. So you better die. And when you die, he lives it through you. And stuff will come out of your mouth, and you'll see things you've never seen, and you'll pray things you've never prayed. And God to do things in your life you never even imagined. And you're like, who in the heck? Somebody needs to introduce me to me. I don't even recognize myself. And that'll happen. Why? Have you ever done that? You ever prayed something and go, dude, that, did, you, that was my, did you hear my prayer? That was a sweet prayer. Like, dude, we got it. That was a good prayer, okay? Humble yourself. You'll never pray that way again if you don't stay humble, okay? Never, all right? That's what happens, all right? Now let me walk you through it. So we have the bride price, okay? Then we have the cup of acceptance, where she takes the drink of the wine, accepts that. She's engaged. She's given the gifts. She takes the oil and the perfume, takes the hot bath, symbolism of baptism. He's gone. He's gone, okay? Now, he is working on the wedding chamber, okay, or the honeymoon suite, all right? Y'all know what y'all know what I mean? I mean, that's what he's doing. He goes away and builds a room. He's not building a room anywhere, my friend. He builds a room on the same house, adjacent, in connection with, right to his father's house. He builds a room. He builds a room for them, a, ch a wedding chamber, a honeymoon suite, their place. He builds that. The groom does this the whole time. He never sees her. Never sees her. She got her own job to do. We'll talk about that next week. It's beautiful, okay? He is building the room 
on his father's house. May take a long time. Don't know how long. May take a year. May take two. May take ten. Don't know. But listen to me. He doesn't even get the stamp that the room is ready till his father says it's ready. The father walks in, don't know when, and he simply looks at the room and says, it's ready. It's ready. Go get your bride. Now, I don't want y'all to think I'm making this up, so I want you to turn your Bible and I want you to see it. Go to John's Gospel. John 14. Some of y'all are going, man, this is like really in the Bible. It is. The Jewish wedding is like really in the Bible. Isn't it amazing? Right. Look at this. Look at the whole wedding chamber right here. John chapter 14. Let's begin in verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me, that in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know, where I, you know, the, you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. He's going to prepare a place for you. Watch this. You're the bride of Christ. You are. Okay? What is he saying he's coming back to? I'm coming back to get the what? church. Not a building, but the church. We are the church at Bushland. Get it, okay? But it's better than that. You and I individually are the church. We're the church. We're the bride of Christ. He laid down his life for his bride. He gave his life for the bride, okay? He's coming again to get the bride, okay? Here's the groom, Jesus, Preparing a place for us in the Father's house. There are many that have gone before us, my friend. And they are now in their room, prepared by the Father. By Jesus made it himself for them. He says, trust me, I'm going away, but I'm not going to stay away. I am coming again. I'm coming again to receive you unto me. Either death will take you to your room that he prepared for you, or he'll come back and get you before you ever die. But my friend, listen to me. The question on the floor is this. Have you ever, ever, ever felt Jesus draw you by his spirit? Have you ever sensed Jesus drawing you? Have you ever heard him knock on your heart door? And have you ever taken the only knob on that heart door, and that's a knob on the inside? There's not one on the outside, my friend. There's just not. Have you ever opened your heart and asked Jesus to come in? Have you ever realized the bride price that was paid for you? A price that you couldn't pay. 
have you ever taken the cup of acceptance and said, oh, yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that. Have you ever, ever been given the gift of salvation that you couldn't earn? You couldn't even do anything to get it, my friend. But it was a free gift given to you. And after you got that gift and were born again, did you ever follow the Lord in the warm oils of baptism to outwardly say there's an inward change, the symbolic nature of being ugly and dirty and died to self and be risen to Christ again? Has there ever been a time that you know that you know that you know that the Father now, he, he, he's not back yet. He hasn't come back yet. But Jesus has gone away, my groom, and he is making a place for me in the Father's house. And one day, if death doesn't take me home first, that Jesus is going to split that eastern sky and come back and take me. And I've got a room. Do you have a room today? Do you have a room? You say, well, I, 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 I'm not real sure. I'm not, I don't know if I have a room. Not to know is to know. Today, the bride has paid the price. The Spirit has drawn you. The offer has been made. The question today is, will you walk out today still having no room in heaven? There's a place being prepared for you if you know him. And there's a place not being prepared for you if you don't know him. Will you meet him today? And he will make a home for you in heaven, an eternal home where you will never die and live forever. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, as the worship team comes, as we enter a time of invitation, as I say each week, this is not my invitation. Not worthy to give an invitation. But God, you're giving this invitation. Your Holy Spirit is extending this invitation. God, we've heard your word today. We've heard the truth today. Father, the Holy Spirit has spoken today. And I pray, Father, today, during this invitation time, that you will draw men and women to you. God, if there's somebody, someone, the sound of my voice, that has never met you, never, never even considered the bride price that was paid for them, never, ever even considered the fact that the cup of acceptance is offered to them. That there is a gift that is free. That they didn't earn and work for nothing. But it's a free gift of salvation. And Father, they could take that gift and be born again. Follow the Lord in baptism. Put a veil on their face and walk out into a lost world as a taken child of the King. Knowing there's a home in heaven for them. God, this morning, during this invitation time, my prayer is, Father, that your Holy Spirit would draw us. If we don't know you, that we'd accept you. If we do know you, that we'd realize that this Christian life is serious. It's not something to be just half-heartedly done. You paid a price, man. All of this is in Scripture. It's beautifully written in Scripture, God. The, the, the Jewish wedding is a beautiful picture of salvation on marriage of Christ. So, God, if we'd, get, we'd get busy in God, whatever you need to do, you speak today. God, if there's a family looking for a church home, God, this is a sweet place with great people and a great church. God, I pray you send them this way. God, just be blessed, be honored today. It's invitation time. This is your time. And may you be obedient to God. In Christ's name.
Amen.